Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Welcome back to the Plenteous Redemption podcast. We're going to pick back up here in our Bible meditation in the book of Jonah. Uh, We left off last time. I I didn't quite get to finish. I I gave uh, about a nine-minute introduction, which uh, cut down on some of my time. So I'm going to pick up here in verse 2, and um, in this broadcast, we're going to look at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1. And uh, I'm not going to go back through all of verse 2. I'm just going to pick up on the last part where I left off. It's a bit of a controversial idea, so I uh, hate that it ended the way it did in the last one. Uh, maybe, maybe we can make a little more sense of it here. But the verses arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. We want to finish that last part, for their wickedness is come up before me, and and it's interesting, it's important to note these ideas when God says things like this, their wickedness has come up before me. Uh, so I, again, I have no doubt that this idea that as, as I'm going to express it here is, is going to be difficult for some of you to receive, but um, it is what it is. I still love you if you, if you disagree and um, I'm not mad at you. I'm not going to break fellowship with you. <laughs> And and surely you would give me the same, uh, the same courtesy. Uh, so this is the idea is related to the knowledge of God, and as defined in the Word of God, it's contrary to the typical Baptist understanding. It's very different uh, as presented in the Bible versus the way is presented in the average Baptist church today. Um, our churches are they're far more influenced by Calvinism and systematic theology than the Word of God. Now, if you ask the average Baptist church if they are Calvinistic, they would say no. But then they're going to preach to you about the sovereignty of God and predestination and total depravity, which are all very clearly Calvinistic doctrines. Um, they're, they're just wrong. The sovereignty of God is never mentioned in the Word of God. You, you can't find the word sovereign one time in all of the Bible. Now, maybe, sure, maybe you can find some sense of the idea occasionally, but it's really, it's, it's an improper term. It's not 
It, 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 it's extra biblical. It doesn't work. It doesn't fit. You know, we, we use extra biblical terms at times to describe certain biblical doctrines, but like the, like Trinity is not in the Bible, but the word Trinity fits the description of the doctrine of, of the three in one, the three persons who make up the one true and living God. So it's not a problem. Uh, rapture, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with that word. It, it fits the, the description, the idea of the doctrine. Sovereignty does not. It doesn't fit. Total depravity does not fit. Uh, predestination is not in the Bible. Predestinated is in the Bible, and, 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 there, and it's a proper, proper biblical doctrine, but predestination is not in the Word of God. It doesn't exist. Uh, especially in the in the Calvinistic uh, form, to be predestinated in the Bible is a destination that God predetermined for people who would choose to trust in Jesus Christ. That's the proper biblical definition of the term. It's not that He predestinated or or has a predestination, uh, as in He chose people to trust in Jesus Christ, but He chose what would happen to people who did trust in Jesus Christ. He has a foreordained destination for those people. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you'll be in Christ Jesus. Okay, that, that's, that's the idea of predestinated. And so, um, so, so Calvinism has influenced our churches far more than it should. And, our, and the worst part is our churches don't even know that they're influenced by it. That's the incredible part. That's the sad part. That's the difficult part because then— when someone comes in, I don't have a I don't have a major church background. I'm not heavily influenced by uh, Baptistic teachings, whatever that is. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's often said as though it's the standard, and 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 at one time it might have been, but not anymore. That's certainly not the case today. Now again, I'm a Baptist. I'm I'm unashamed of that. I think if you're going to hear the truth today, it's going to be in a Baptist church. But I'm not going to cheerlead for the Baptist Church in its current condition. It it needs to be elevated. It needs it needs revival desperately. It needs a return to the Word of God and to break away from all these outside outside influences that that are being allowed to give so much direction inside a a a, a denomination that has made its name on believing the Bible. Its 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 reputation is built upon being Bible believers. And and we're pretty far away from that at this point. Not not wholly, but in, in rough condition for sure. And and so I, I would like to see some of that change and to break away from this Calvinistic uh, influence. You know, we we fight hard against Calvinism, but then we you know we teach about the sovereignty of God. <laughs> it's just it, it's silly, and and I I would like to see that go away. Now, uh, the next influence, major influence, is systematic theology. I, I rather enjoy systematic theology. I, I, I like reading the systematic theology writings of Charles Hodge and the other brother from, from England. I can't think of his name at the moment. Um, and then, you know, one of my favorite, favorite books to just read through and, and listen to in audio format is Abstract of, of Systematic Theology. It's an excellent book. It's, it's so good. And, uh, and there's, there's so much rich content in there to learn from and to grow from, but there are, several, there are several problems as well. Uh, and systematic theology has been a major influence. 
it, systematic theology has basically formulated modern day Baptist traditional teaching. All right, so when it, when a modern day Baptist refers to its traditional teaching, it's going back, whether they know it or not, they go back in in large part to systematic theology. And and again, I enjoy systematic theology. There's great benefit from from diving into some of those books and and uh, Martin Lloyd Jones. That's the guy's name. <laughs> he's he's got a good book on systematic theology. Anyways. Um, you know, diving into these things, it's 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 exciting. It's it, you know, you see this, just the minds of some of these brilliant men who laid these things out in in a systematic way, and and that's that's wonderful. But they don't rightly divide. Um, they 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 put no influence on 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 proper dispensations, and and oftentimes putting things in their proper place before laying out a systematic theology. Instead, you just get this jumbled mess of, of, of doctrine applied to people to whom it does not apply and put in places where it does not belong, and, and so you've got to be careful. Well, our, our brethren have not been careful, and instead they, they adopt anything that these guys put out and, and go out and, and parrot it as though it's all safe and true and proper and correct, and then it becomes foundational and it becomes traditional. and. And the next thing you know, in order to call yourself a Baptist, you have to be willing to recite the traditional systematic theology, you know, lines of thought. And, um, and then to make matters even worse, I don't know of a single systematic theology book. There may be some out there, but I don't know of a single one that wasn't written by a Calvinist. <laughs> so it takes us right back to our Calvinistic influence. And, you know, we, we say eat the meat and spit out the bones, but I'm, seeing a lot of our brethren choking on bones. <laughs> They're not spitting them out. And, and it's a problem. And so these are the two groups who have formed our idea about the knowledge of God. And they don't, they don't coincide. They don't work well. They don't flow well with what the Bible says about the knowledge of God. And this is going to irk some of you. It's going to be difficult for some of you. Uh, the Lord said, the wickedness of Nineveh, now listen to the words, the terminology, and, and you have to listen to it and separate it from what you think it's saying and listen to what it actually says. He said, is come up before me. Okay, now what that means is before it came up before him, it was not there. He was not either he was not aware of it or he was not ready to address it or or whatever the whatever the case may be, it was not brought to his attention. And then when it was, he said, okay, it's time to deal with it. Right? And so that's gonna be so hard for some of you to accept. And and again, we're not running cross references. Um, maybe when when I teach through the book itself, we'll we'll look at some of this in more detail. But um there are ample verses in the Bible that it carry this idea of, of, of God limiting his knowledge intentionally, primarily, it seems, uh, so that you and I and, and the other members of this world have a space of time and, and, and have some grace and some long-suffering and some mercy so that we can come to know the Lord. And, and, and so for that to happen, the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, the judgment of God, has to have a barrier between between the Lord and the way we live on a daily basis and our, and our lives on a daily basis. 
And so you want to thank God for this. This is not something you want to fight against. Uh, again, just to throw, I'm, I'm really trying not to draw from other studies I've done on this, but just, just to help satisfy some of you that there is a tiny bit of validity to this. All right. The Lord said, when he forgives your sins, they are as far as the East is from the West. They're gone. He will remember your sins no more. Okay. So, so that's a tiny example of God choosing not to know something either for a space of time or for eternity. In our case, if you're washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, he will remember your sins no more. And then you come along with your systematic theology and you say, God knows everything. He doesn't know your sins. Not if they've been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and you, wanna, you want it to stay that way, <laughs> Lord willing. Uh, you don't want to convince God that he should be aware of your sins. Right? They're gone. He doesn't remember them. He threw them out because you trusted in Jesus Christ and only because you trusted in Jesus Christ. All right, so, so that, that's just a small example without going too far down this road. Uh, it's interesting, and it's difficult for people to come to terms with because we've been sold on the systematic theology idea that if God doesn't know everything, then he is not God. Where would you get that idea? You, you wouldn't get it from the Bible. Because there, there are multiple times in the Bible where God literally said he didn't know something. All right, so we'll, we'll look at that in more detail. You'll have to come back to get more detail on that. And, and, uh, and so let's try to progress through this and finish this. Um, he said that the wickedness of Nineveh has come up before me, and carrying the idea that before it was brought before him, he was to some extent unaware of what was going on there. Like now again, I understand some of you are like are, are are probably jumping out of your seat right now. Like, how could he say that? I didn't say that. The Bible said that. He said it is come up before me, meaning that prior to the prior to this, it was not before him. All right, you just you got to believe the Bible as it as it as it is as it sits, and and it'll make sense. Now, again, we're not running cross references for this level of teaching. Um, but there's clear evidence in the Bible that God has limited his knowledge of the actions of men, cities, and nations to some extent, actually to a large extent. And if God was, was looking in on the affairs uh, of, of man continually, uh, then he would have to destroy Nineveh, Sodom, Gomorrah, San Francisco, Los Angeles. It, it lists, I mean, what city would stand? If God was looking in on the affairs of men and, and those cities and those nations uh, continually, if he had continual knowledge of it, his righteousness, his holiness, his, his judgment would have to take over, would have to come into play. He'd have to do something about it. And every time in the Bible when he did that, Sodom and Gomorrah, um, again, I'm, I'm, <laughs> we're, not suppo- we're supposed to be focused on the verse alone, but, but just, just because of the controversial nature of this teaching, uh, when it comes to Sodom and Gomorrah, he, he, he literally said, I'm going to go see, it's Genesis 18, I'm going to go see if what I have heard is true, and if it is true, when I see it, this is literally what God said, 
then I will know. Okay. So if, if the idea is then he will know, then until he goes to verify what he has heard, it's the same idea. Someone is, is bringing to his attention, you know, the, 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 somebody's crying against Sodom and Gomorrah. Somebody's pouring out to God, pouring their heart out to God about, about, the, about the wickedness going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God said, I'm going to go see if it's true. And when he verified it was true, what happened? He destroyed that place. All right, so that, that's the reality of the situation. Same thing in Nineveh. God said, their wickedness has come before me. I'm going to go look into it. Okay, it's true. They got 40 days. They've got 40 days, and I'm destroying this place. All right, so, so that, that's, that's if, you, if you just believe the words as they sit and you, you don't drag systematic theology and Calvinism into it. You can't be a Calvinist. And it, well, you can because they do. But, but if you were to believe Jonah as it is written, you, you couldn't be a Calvinist. Now, they ignore the parts that, that defy their theology. God says, Jonah, I need you to go preach to Nineveh. And Jonah leaves. <laughs> Jonah runs away. Well, well I mean, that, that, that brings up a lot of problems for Calvinism. And then he says, I want you to go preach to them. And if they repent, then I'll repent of, my, of, the, of the evil I intend to, to, to pour out on them. That, none of that can square with Calvinism. Now, instead, what they do is they look at the whale or the, the fish or however you want to, whatever your, your, your term is, they say, see, God, God created a special fish to deal with Jonah. See, God made Jonah go, go to Nineveh. Um, they, they, they look at the parts that, that seem to fit with their theology, and they ignore the parts that are glaringly incoherent with their, their theology. And, and you can't do that. It, it, it makes you incoherent, and you end up propagating confusion rather than biblical truth. And I'm not doing that, Lord willing. I, I want to do my best to believe the Bible as it sits, and, and we go there. So um, God stays out of the affairs of men as much as possible until it is necessary for him to intervene. And the wickedness of Nineveh was brought before him. The Lord decided he needed to intervene. And Jonah was supposed to be a part of that, but Jonah didn't want anything to do with it. Now, in accord with his plenteous grace, he sent a prophet to warn that city, repent, or I will destroy this great city. And uh, to Jonah's frustration, they repented, and the Lord spared the city. All right, now, verse 3, that, that wraps up verse 2. Verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish um, from the presence of the Lord. The wording is just incredible. Jonah rose up to flee up to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, we've got a few things to talk about here. Now, again, the way this is broken down, I'm going to initially state the facts, what the verse says, what the section of the verse or the portion of the verse we're going to talk about says, and then I'm going to give you some personal analysis based on you know, my own meditation and thoughts and as I, as I look at these things and try to think through them. Um, first, it says, but Jonah rose up to flee. Now, we talked about it. Um, previously, how God told him to arise in, in verse one, 
And uh, well, he he arose. <laughs> Jonah did arise, and uh, as the Lord instructed him, um, but he went in exactly the opposite direction. Where God told him to go, he went exactly away from it. It, it it's it's amazing. Um, this seems descriptive of modern of the modern Christian. They get motivated and they go somewhere. <laughs> I don't. Nobody knows where they are. You you don't find them until Donald Trump runs for president. Then suddenly they come out of the woodwork and they'll hold signs and pass out tracts for Donald Trump. They'll defend Donald Trump on Facebook and Twitter and everything else. Uh, but where are they when it's time to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ? So they, they, they arise. It's just rare they do so in accord with the Lord's instruction. And that needs to change. Um, you know, that, that, the statements about Donald Trump, those are not, it's not a political statement. It, it's a rebuke of your willingness to fight a political battle, but your unwillingness to stand up and fight for the Lord and, and to preach the gospel and to tell people about Jesus Christ and, and uh, to, to, to get God's word out into this lost and dying world that's on its way to hell. You'll defend Donald Trump. You'll defend you know things that don't matter, but you won't you won't step out there and 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 speak up for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's that's a shame. Um, so Jonah took the Lord's command as an opportunity to try and flee rather than an opportunity to demonstrate obedience to the Lord. He got wind of what God wanted him to do, and and I, I guess he followed that wind in the wrong direction and flew and <laughs> flew flew out the out the door to a ship that's going where God said not to go. Now, if we examine this in light of our previous broadcast, Jonah may have been down physically, emotionally, or spiritually, uh, but he used God's word as motivation to stimulate an act of disobedience. It didn't encourage him to, to do what God wanted. It encouraged him to, to identify what God wanted and then go do exactly the opposite in the wrong direction, in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing. Man, that is, that is modern-day Christianity. And we do it. This happens. This exact thing happens repeatedly for the Lord. <laughs> Makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, so I want to be obedient. I want you to be obedient. I, I want to trust the Lord. It's not always easy. Um, there are some things my wife and I are grappling with right now that we're not quite ready to make public, but. Um, it, it, it's, it's not bad. It, it's good. It's positive. It's a wonderful thing, but the accomplishment of it is going to be difficult. <laughs> it's hard. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a daunting task, but we want to be obedient to God. And if, if, if Lord willing, once we confirm, you know, the validity of it all and, 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 and all of that, then we're going to do our best to do what the Lord wants us to do. And, and so, that's the hard part. We, we look at how difficult the task is, and we, we, we might use that as an issue. Now, that was, not, that was not Jonah's issue. Jonah just hated those people. Jonah did not want God to offer salvation of any sort, temporal or spiritual, to Nineveh. He, he, didn't, he did not want that, and, and that was his issue. Next, he said, flee unto Tarshish. Or, or the, the, the next thing that he was trying to do was flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. 
He's trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. Um, now, I'm not sure what was in Tarshish, but apparently Je- uh, Jonah believed it could provide some sort of barrier between him, himself and the, and the presence of the Lord. And he was trying his best to get there. Uh, it, it's like he had in his mind, if I can just get there, I can get away from God. Well, what, what part of God's creation can we flee to in order to get away from the creator? <laughs> that makes no, I mean, think about the insanity of it all. Um, where could you go to get away from God on the creation, in the creation, living here, the place that God created? It, it just, it, it's insanity. It's, it's all it is. Uh, disobedience to the Lord will cause people to perform some of the most senseless of acts in order to remove ourselves from the Lord's instruction. You're, you're only going to, in the end, we only harm ourselves, destroy our own lives, and delay the inevitable. And that's, that's all Jonah did. Jonah went through some terrible experiences that were unnecessary because he was trying to flee the presence of God. And he was trying to, he was trying deliberately to be disobedient to God. Uh, next it says, and went down to Joppa. Now, when Jonah made the decision to flee, he started a downward progression that will eventually lead to his crying out from hell. Um, that's not a progression you want to, you or, you or I want to participate in. The further we move from the direction of, in the, in the direction of disobedience, the further our lives uh, will demonstrate this same downward progression. Um, this, this can be seen so often in people's lives. Um, we see what starts as minor disobedience to the Lord, of which when spanned over a few years, the downward progression just goes deeper and farther from God. It's a, it's a horrible thing to see. And you, and you get little hints of it, and then it starts to become more clear. And then, and then you just see them going further and further and further. And there's nothing you can say to them that will convince them that they're headed to trouble, towards trouble. Uh, they begin to dress differently. They begin to talk differently. The things of this world begin to consume their interest. And eventually they are out of church, hanging out in bars and, and doing all sorts of other ungodly things that Christians have no business doing. The best response to God's instruction is always obedience. Even if we do not understand, even if we don't like the potential outcome. God, God is good. All his works are done in truth. He is right. He is righteous. He is holy. What he wants accomplished will in the end always be right. If we don't understand it or don't like it, that means we have no clue what we're doing and, and that we have a, a bent towards unrighteousness. And so we should repent of that and do what God wants and do what God says. All right, next it says, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. You will find what you're looking for. What are you looking for? Are you looking for a way to obey God? Or are you looking for a way to disobey God? Whichever one you're looking for, you will find it. You will have it. Um, not only that, but he paid the fare thereof. <laughs> Imagine that. Living life in this world comes with costs, whether it be for the Lord or, or the world. You're going to pay. Um, you're going to have to give up something to serve God. You're going to have to give up something to serve the world. One has a net positive benefit now in this life and in eternity. The other is never good. It might make you happy for a season, a moment, 
but it's going to run out. And, and in the end, you're going to regret it. Jonah decided he wanted to flee to Tarshish, but that decision would come with its own cost, both financial and in terms of the real world consequences of sin against God. You're not going to escape that. It's, it's, it's so good with God, and it's going to get progressively worse without God. Um, now, I, I don't know what was so special about Tarshish, but Jonah was convinced it was the place to go. <laughs> if you got there, you could get away from God, apparently, in his mind. He was willing to pay the cost and try to outrun God, but he was not willing to pay whatever the cost might have been to please God. And that, that's the battle that everybody faces. Um, next, it says he went, down, he went down into it, speaking of the ship. For the second time, the Lord informs us that Jonah's attempt to flee the presence of God in disobedience is a downward progression that leads to life at the bottom. We have a choice in life, in victory by way of obedience to the Lord, or to live lives at the bottom, as, as a bottom dweller in disobedience to the Lord. And, and those, I mean, those contrasts are accurate. It's, it's a wide, it's, it's, it's a valid, accurate contrast. Jonah's choice is nothing more than an inward battle, of which Jonah refused to humble himself under the mighty hand of God. Instead, he stuck to his own preconceived ideas, which demanded he disobey the Lord. You, you've got to fight that battle, bring your, your thoughts into subjection to Jesus Christ, and, and, and give, over, give yourself over to the Lord. We are all subject to this battle as we learn more and more about what the Lord expects of us. We can either rise to the occasion by way of obedience, or we can descend downwardly to the bottom through disobedience. Just obey the Lord. And next it says, to go, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now it's interesting, it says, he went with them, with them. Uh, there will always be plenty of people who will go with you in your downward progression. You can find them, they'll be there, and they'll help you. In fact, the more we, we stand firm in, in our disobedience, first standing with the small things and, and then progressing to larger forms of disobedience, there will always be people there to, to motivate your departure away from the Lord. As the, as, people, as the people pleasers we are, what will happen is that we will find the crowd necessary to confirm our predilections, and then we'll form a bubble of confirming fools who will tell us just what we want to hear. Every time, better be careful who you spend your time with. Trust the Lord. Be obedient. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast.